Welcome to the Phase World Podcast. Engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. Ira Cummings is my guest on the Phase World Podcast today. He's a senior designer at Arnold Worldwide with a background and training in illustration. I called him out as the first introvert ever invited to my podcast. Perhaps others may just be better at hiding it, but let's face it, introverts rule sometimes. They're focused, thoughtful, and often bring the most surprising ideas and solutions to the table. Ira is one of them, whom I had the pleasure to work with in the past year on a variety of projects. Ira has an open studio coming up this Friday, April 10th through Sunday the 12th, 2015. If you happen to be listening to this podcast before the show, look up Miller Street Open Studio in Somerville, Massachusetts, and that's where you will meet Ira and his artworks. In this one-hour conversation with Ira, we talked about design, branding, then experiencing the brand as a customer and vice versa engaging with customers as a brand. I had to open up my favorite topic with Ira, that is, what is Ira's secret origin and what are some of the things I didn't know about him that essentially shaped him into who he is today? Ira is a savvy cyclist who spent a week and a half biking the mountains in Colorado, five to six hours a day. He told me that biking the mountains and just be so free that you could go wherever you want is the indescribable freedom. We close the interview with rapid fire questions, including a new one I had never asked before. What is an Ira's to go bag? In other words, what would Ira take with him without knowing where he's going next? If you like this episode, please check out the other episodes on the Phase World podcast and let me know your feedback via Facebook, Phase World, or my Twitter handle, which is also Phase World. Tell me everything, anything, and please share it out with your family and friends. That is, thank you very much in Chinese. Without further ado, please welcome Ira Cummings. Did you get a drink from that place? Which place? The the one we went to. I think it's called Sapa or something. S-A-P-A. Oh yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like ten ten dollar ten dollars for pho and stuff. Yeah, ten dollars for pho and brown rice bowls and fusion Asian food. And yeah. Nobody there is Asian. Right. And if you just walk like another block, you'd be in the middle of Chinatown getting all the most authentic. And half the price. Half the price, exactly half of the price. (laughs) Yeah, it's close though, so. Yeah. So I'm super excited to be here with Ira Cummings. I don't think I've ever said your last name once. (laughs) It is correct. That's correct. All right, so Ira is here. Ira is a phenomenal designer, artist, biker, cyclist, bunch of things we want to talk about on this podcast and thank you so much for joining hey thanks for having me Faye. i really appreciate it we're we're at arnold everybody's very busy working 80 hour weeks so 
sparing half an hour here, 45 minutes, it's really, it's phenomenal. So I want to jump right in and introduce you in a way that I wasn't able to um, for my other guests, which is that you are contributing significantly to the Face World podcast itself. You have basically helped me uh, rebrand Face World, which uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you can go to faceworld.com, F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D. And I have a lovely business card. I think I'm going to create a little section to showcase this whole thing. So why did you decide to help me again? <laughs> Remind me. <laughs> oh, because you're my friend. And, uh, you know, I really, uh, I really think that you're doing, you know, some interesting stuff. And whenever one of my friends embark on a project that's so uh, passionate and close to their heart, I like to help them out whenever nice. I can. So. So I'm not the first one, obviously. No. <laughs> what are some of the other projects you've helped out with in the past? Um, I have done a few other things. Um, I like being involved with the design community in Boston, so I've, I've volunteered for AIGA on various things, uh, both smaller things, and then my friend Jason Stevens runs a annual design conference that's gone on for the past couple of years in Boston called Design Exchange Boston mm -hmm. uh, or DXB and I helped with the, their website this past year mm -hmm. um, and kind of helped just sort of from a, a higher level art direction creative direction standpoint I've also worked with Design Museum Boston uh, on, a, on an exhibit that they did a couple years ago called Getting There about the design of travel and just kind of helping out here and there where I can. Mm -hmm. Is it, do, do you think it's normal? Now, when I say that is because for me, also working for an agency, that sometimes the, the hours can be pretty intense in terms of on a really good week, I feel I feel like 40, 50 hours, and oftentimes much beyond that. And people in the in the industry um, will completely understand. So for you to kind of do that, and in addition to that, working nights and weekends, and when what trigger you to to want to do that? Is it is it for kind of self improvement, or is it sort of just happen organically? I think. Most designers would probably answer that, this question sort of the same way because pretty much everybody got into design because they really like doing it. And so the lines between what you do for work and what you do for fun blur a lot. Um, I've, I've, as you mentioned, I'm an artist as well. And I think there's definitely a, in terms of like the final product or the final outcome, there's a really strict or, or um, a qualifiable goal uh, or outcome that is different from design, but w how the process works, what the outcomes or what the, um, I don't know, what the pieces what that make up the whole, those mm -hmm. are all, they're kind of porous, like my art informs my design, my design informs my art. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of kind of interplay between the two and there's a, like my interest and love for both really sort of fuel that 
uh, interest in pursuing it, whether it's for work, whether it's for a friend, whether it's for myself, mm -hmm. whether it's for none of the above, yeah, you know, yeah. so that, that always is, is really, I mean, mm -hmm. it's putting in the hours, but sometimes it feels like work, sometimes it doesn't, you know. I echo much of that. For me, it's, there is a balance, filling the void of, you know, in all honesty, you cannot get everything there is in life out of work as much as it's really important and we do great work for our clients. For me, you know, podcasting, connecting with people, learning so much more about them um, is very fulfilling um, and very rewarding as well. So tell me about, for you, the difference between being at work, working on client work versus your personal projects. Like, paint that picture for me a little bit. What's, it, what's different and what's similar? Um. Well, I've always worked for consultancies. Um, so with a consultancy, you're always working for a client. It's the, the contrast would be being in-house at a company and that there's, there's a lot of gray in between those two uh, poles. But with a consultancy, the client is always your, your reason for being in in a situation so the client for me is always the end um, and that's really the main differentiation between anything I do at work mm -hmm. and anything I do for myself a lot of the things that I do um, on a freelance basis also um, focused on that sort of uh, client designer relationship but mm -hmm. then things start to blur more where it's a design project that I do for myself or it's um, an art project that I do for myself or for someone else or mm -hmm. just because I feel like doing it sort of thing. I feel like you, you look you look super young. For the longest time I thought you were like significantly younger than <laughs> I am, right? And um, so you're in your 30s, I'm also in my 30s. We've been going at this for a little while and some of my listeners, whether they're artists or not or musicians, I wanted you to share sort of your experience in terms of how you get into freelancing and what people don't realize is they people think about freelancing in terms of I get it whenever I want and I build these fantastic relationships I have drinks and go out to lunch <laughs> with my clients that's sure that, that's true in some scenarios but oftentimes what you don't have is an account team you don't have a project right. manager to help you kind of manage the timeline, their expectation, payments, collection, mm -hmm. all these things along the line. So do you find that challenging or how do you kind of mitigate and, and manage that on your own? Um, I, I've kind of have had a bunch of iterations of my career, um, even though, as I mentioned, I've, I've always operated in sort of a consultant basis. It's been, um, you know, I've worked full-time at places I've worked full-time and supplemented with freelance part-time I've been full-time freelance so it's it's kind of been a spectrum um, but one of the reasons why I really wanted to work at Arnold is I haven't had previously the experience of working with a, a large company where there is all those capabilities and roles in-house mm -hmm. so that's been a really great experience for me having people uh, to really maintain client relationships and it's not something that I need to devote huge parts of my day to mm -hmm. having people 
that are just exceptional writers and being able to consult with them and helping shape direction with them, having people that do animation, that shoot video, that shoot photos, that um, just all those pieces that come together to do really good work. Um, in, in a smaller place, you sort of do all of them, mm -hmm. sort of at, at the cost of quality sometimes, you know, because a lot of times you're just trying to do stuff as quickly and efficiently within budget mm -hmm. constraints for any particular goal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's I always... know about the budget. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> yeah. So with my freelance work, when I was a full-time freelance practitioner, it was uh, definitely a big learning curve in terms of figuring out how to bid projects, how to manage money, mm -hmm. how, to, how to grow relationships, how to make new ones, how to maintain ones that you already have. Mm -hmm. And I liked it. It was enjoyable, but it you can look at it as a design problem, and it is to a certain extent, but just um, filing receipts is not a design problem. <laughs> so I just don't like that stuff so mm -hmm. um that's part of reason the reason why i've gotten to the place where i am basically mm -hmm. speaking of design relationships and i think what you said about arnold is totally true and i feel like i come from a digital agency background and now i'm meeting a lot of people who has knowledge much beyond what I'm familiar with, mm. you know, TV production, print out of home. I didn't know what OOH actually stood yeah. for <laughs> and learned that. Very fascinating. And I'm going to jump into sort of a personality question here that we start talking about. Do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Very much an introvert. Very much. Very much an introvert. So I want to congratulate you for perhaps being the first introvert on the Face World <laughs> podcast. I never asked that question. I never needed to because yeah. everybody kind of jump on the podcast and, and you know people who reach out to me or who whom I reach out to tend to be fairly extroverted given the roles they're in. Artists, uh, artists kind of tricky. It really depends. But musicians, um, business people, project managers, very very verbal, uh, vocal and. And it's interesting you, you mentioned that. So what you also said about Arnold is the people, the amount of people, the volume people you have to deal with every day and build relationships with yeah. them. You have to deal with the clients. Do you think it's ever come to you uh, as a challenge or how do you kind of, you know, sort of put come my, to work? Put my extrovert mask on. <laughs> put your extrovert mask on, uh, exactly. This is a huge process? challenge for me. Um, more more than the design stuff is it's really a challenge for me i feel like i can figure out the design stuff even if i don't know how mm -hmm. to design the thing that i'm designing right now i mm -hmm. feel like i've figured it out enough times in the past that i can do it again mm -hmm. um so really the, like the the people mm -hmm. is is the biggest challenge and i don't mean like challenge in a in a negative sense i mean in a sense of um a problem that I need to solve and mm -hmm. I think it's I'm kind of at, at the point in my career where I'm kind of mentoring younger designers to a certain extent it's not 
it's not the main focus of my role, but it's something that I do, and it's something that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. So being getting better at that and figuring out that that um, that way to interact with people, whether it's more junior designers or mm-hmm. um, account people or anything, to help them understand the process, how to help them do their job, or mm-hmm. uh, the challenge of working with people um, at the executive level that are making decisions. Mm-hmm that really impact my day-to-day in figuring out the best way to interface with them so Mm -hmm. that they understand what it is I do and what the value that I bring to the process is. Mm -hmm. That's that's all a huge thing that I'm trying to get better at and I think it's that's really difficult for introverts because Mm -hmm. I mean myself especially I have kind of a halting way of speaking it's because I'm like thinking and processing stuff before I speak and <laughs> I don't do that introverts yeah. don't do that yeah. the worst comes before yeah goes anywhere yeah my oh, I have I have too much of a of a mm-hmm. filter and kind mm-hmm. of a block before I actually verbalize anything if I do in fact mm-hmm. verbalize something <laughs> I'm gonna dive into why that is but um uh, before that, I want to say that... Well, therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> this is, um, you know, I've I come to realize in the, I guess, the past couple of years or so that I feel that extrovert people, you know, extroverts are, are overrated in many scenarios, cases, whereas, um, you know, introverts kind of uh, undervalued at times. There's a really interesting TED talk, which I will send it to you, that is about this woman who's an introvert and whose kids are introverts, and she described not forcing them to become extroverts and how they could succeed. And um, but add to that, I recently have been following this fantastic entrepreneur and podcaster whose name is Jonathan Fields, and I was reading his bio on the train last night, and it was hashtag introverts rule. <laughs> so, and this is like the day before our interview, I got really excited. I started to reflect upon the sort of your presence and the impact you've had on my projects, which we've worked on many. We're working on really big projects, which I cannot announce on the podcast. It uh, hasn't been official, and but this is probably the biggest project you and I have collaborated on mm-hmm. on a regular daily basis and all these milestones. But prior to that, we worked on you know Western International University and Phoenix and all the other accounts. What I really, f- what I always find intriguing, this may, may be like pushing your button a little bit, but in a good way, is you know, when I have people like Caleb Brown, Josh Green, who are uh, my guests previously on, previously on Phase World Podcast, when they walk into the room, I know their presence, I notice right away, they're very noticeable. I can predict the, I cannot predict exactly what they're going to say, but I can almost predict their actions, picking up a, you know, a, a marker, first of all, why is my marker here? And, and then how they're going to facilitate and drive yeah. the meeting. So, and they're very effective. But in general, sometimes in our industry, the loudest people are not often the most intelligent or the, the biggest uh, value added folks in the room. What I know is about you, which is really intriguing is, Sometimes I don't, you're, you may not be the most noticeable and certainly not the loudest person in the room, but once in a while, you know, all of us kind of go into this, go into this space and put a really difficult problem on the table and we all get stuck. And as a team, we're trying to get unblock or unstuck. 
And then just in the corner of the room, I hear like a whisper. I could barely hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember just in my head, I was like, oh my God, that is the solution. That is the answer to this thing that we're discussing. I remember I have to look over and there you are. You know, it's like, I would do it again. <laughs> I, and then the funny thing is I, I never, I could never see it coming. Um, but to your point, I, I always felt like you think things through very carefully. Um, but it, it's, yeah, you, you are absolutely a very much valued player and kind of surprised me on a regular basis. And I don't think I get surprised very easily, but I like that for some reason. <laughs> I like that just completely out of the blue. And so, yeah, thank you for being on my team. <laughs> well, thanks, Faye. I mean, I think the way that a lot of business is, is structured, in, at least in my experience, is probably obviously biases sort of Northeastern, greater Boston area business mm -hmm. models, but I think generally business kind of favors extroverts. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's really one better than the other, but I do think introverts are undervalued, mm -hmm. but it's hard for us to speak up yeah. <laughs> collectively <laughs> as a group. Yeah, you um, should motivate other introverts. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm working on motivating myself first and then, <laughs> then we'll deal with other people. <laughs> Um, yeah, maybe you should uh, recruit some extroverts, but then make yeah. sure they don't talk this whole time. <laughs> yeah. So I gotta put, I was like, stop me if I'm doing all the talking. But <laughs> I want to know about your origin story, like sort of your secret origin, things that people don't know about you already. According to you, that's everything because you haven't been very <laughs> vocal about yeah. your life. Um, but yeah, tell me why, why do you think, were you kind of born and raised this way? What has contributed to you being the introvert? Or perhaps, who knows, when you're three, you're a complete extrovert mm. and you decided to... I, yeah, to I don't think I ever was really, really any more extroverted than I am right now. I guess my parents could speak differently, I'm sh and I'm sure as a kid, mm -hmm. you have less of a filter. But um, I grew up in um, semi-rural Vermont, outs outside of the biggest city in Vermont, which was, you know, 40,000 people <laughs> so you know it, it doesn't get much more populous than that but there was always um, you know my parents are, are really great they're they've always been really supportive of me um, they're both kind of ex hippies to mm -hmm. a certain extent and so they weren't really afraid of uh, a son that really wanted to go into art or do something that wasn't being a, a lawyer or so very or supportive a, of yeah. your pursuits. Yeah, they were. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think kind of my current, like the, the foundation for uh, who I become as an adult, I feel like I can most pinpoint back sort of to around the high school years, both from a good and a bad standpoint, like from a good standpoint, I started to really sort of define my identity uh, from a bad standpoint. I think it was just a very awkward time and feeling very like I didn't fit in with anybody. I always felt like I wasn't really like a pariah or anything like that, but I certainly didn't run real close with the, the cool kids, if mm -hmm. you will, you know? What were the cool kids doing versus what you were doing? 
uh, they're probably like drinking and getting out into trouble, mm-hmm. you know? Like mm-hmm. I've always been a pretty um, kind of a student sort of guy and uh, I've never been into drinking or drugs. Um, I, in, in high school, I got into hardcore and punk rock music and uh, I, I was and sort of am still straight edge, which is like a lifestyle choice based around not consuming drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was kind of this like label that I adopted. You know, other people were, were doing it, so there's the camaraderie of that, but it's mm-hmm. also sort of like a way to, I don't, I, I thought it was cool to like ostracize myself a little bit for some reason. <laughs> I, I'm chuckling because, first of all, I want, I want a clear definition of what punk rock is. Yeah. And in China where I grew up, when kids listen to punk rock, those are the troublemakers. Yeah. The, I guess the good kids, the straight A kids are listening to jazz, classical music, yeah. or some pop music. But what is punk rock, punk rock music exactly? Like, what's your definition? Who are some of the musicians that inspire you? Because I, I feel like yeah, I mean, it, in high school, it was like, um, like Earth Crisis and Strife were like two of my favorite bands, um, and I don't know. There's a whole whole long list, but <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah, it's it's sort of like. You know the the golden age of punk rock for me is around like 1976 in New York and in London. It was, you know, started by the Ramones and the London Calling. Are they anything? The Clash. The Clash. Yeah, yes, that's what I meant. Yeah, I mean those are the two like seminal uh-huh. punk rock bands that made probably the biggest wide wide um, or mainstream mm-hmm. splash. But um, there was so much happening kind of out of the mainstream and in out of like unless you were in 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 the days before the internet mm-hmm. when you had to be like in this sort of super niche subculture and you knew where the shows were mm-hmm. and just seeing like all those all those bands like you know Black Flag or the Bad Brains or Minor Threat or SSD or mm-hmm. any of those bands that would never ever play on the radio like outside of college radio would never play on like the top 40 um but they kind of you know the 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 punks that you kind of think of as like safety pins and spiked hair and stuff Mm -hmm. i mean that's all kind of an affectation Mm -hmm. and just sort of a, a mode of dress i think it's the really important things for punk were the idea is that you can just do whatever you want to do mm-hmm. like if you want to put out a record you put out a record if you want to start a band you start a band if you want to mm-hmm. dress however you want to dress you just do it and and the other thing is really kind of the questioning of of any sort of established dogma you know whether it's mm-hmm. religion or government mm-hmm. or um something related to the educational system Mm -hmm. just question kind of everything and and that sort of skepticist Mm -hmm. maybe this is obvious but do you think there's kind of that direct connection or conclusion between you being an introvert didn't fit in like everybody else yeah maybe there are more people who felt the same way that you thought they they did yeah i mean that's that's kind of like the draw of punk a little bit like Mm -hmm. a lot of it's like the outcasts getting together sort of (laughs) um 
I think some people were in it for the for the fashion or for the drugs or for mm-hmm. um, just to like stir mm-hmm. things up. But Pretty for me, different. it was it was more about like DIY and mm-hmm. and kind of just questioning social norms. Mm-hmm. So so that's again the introvert who's it's interesting <laughs> when I think people take different actions. Um, for me, kind of fulfill another creative side of myself. It could be podcasts, could be painting, could be martial art. Um, for you, I feel like instead of being very vocal about it, and I feel like you're largely influenced by the music that you listen to, and I'm also familiar with a lot of the bands you mentioned mm-hmm. just now, and it makes me want to revisit them and really listen to the lyrics is another thing. Like I, I'm not sure you feel the same way, but growing up, when you listen to music, especially the catchy ones, you're not really listening, tuning in on the lyrics. You don't almost don't care about, it's more about the tempo, the music itself. But I think the music you described uh, has, you know, as much uh, content to do kind of, an essence to do the lyrics than there is just to the music alone. Yeah, yeah, I think it was, it was key, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess the, the biggest downside of, of punk rock is that um, it's just sort of buying into a different ideology mm-hmm. instead of just the mainstream ideology. Right. Um, but I do think it like filters out to other parts of life. Um, if you don't get caught up too mm-hmm. much in that like black leather jacket, spiky hair kind of thing. Um, and and just going back to your question about like the origin story, I think I think that sort of mindset mm-hmm. um, like generally filters in. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think it's one of the things that makes it really exciting to be working right now because like you know when I was growing up if you wanted a radio show mm-hmm. tough luck yeah but yeah. like what you're doing right now mm-hmm. so now you can start a podcast yeah. you know like if you wanted to, when I was coming up if you wanted to um publish a book tough luck mm-hmm. but now you can now you can do that and you can talk to people yeah you know whether it's like you want to have your own video program whether mm-hmm. and and just create your own any kind of thing you want to do it's so uh much easier to do that now and mm-hmm. i think that's super amazing mm-hmm. um that's i want to add to that because we we kind of started talking about this during our daily stand-up today, is you're going to have an art show coming up very soon. Mm -hmm. And by the time we release this, probably getting even closer to the date. And my, as you know, both of my parents are artists and my mom in particular, you know, back then, we're talking about 70s and 80s, tough luck if you want to have your own art show. Yeah. Because there are only such limited galleries and you have to be a certain status, you have to know the right people. Yeah. At any point of that, connection that you, you fall through there's no chance but um, for you you've been going at it for a little while tell us about the show you're going to have uh, well it's less of a show and it's more like open studios um, so humble uh, so <laughs> yeah a studio where where I've worked at, and it's a building of artists in Somerville where I live uh, is having open studios April 10th 11th and 12th it's called Miller Street Studios, and it's something they do biannually. So, mm-hmm. um, this is kind of the the one opportunity uh, for the next two years. So, um, best place to check it out is MillerStreetStudios.net, and that's has pretty much all the information. 
there. I'll include that link in there. And speaking of which, you helped design the website for them? Yeah, very superficially. I more like helped them install WordPress and connect the dots. <laughs> I, I think that's a, um, I think that's huge because I've, again, um, I've echo much of this. I've helped a lot of my friends' businesses kind of um, take off, setting up websites, social channels. Maybe just they're kind of in the back burner now. You don't think too much about them, but I'm sure the effort was much appreciated. Yeah. What are some of the, the types of work or uh, medias that you work within for this particular show, and as well as in general, like yeah. pieces shown versus at home? Um, I would say... I think of the work that I do as as my artistic practice as drawings. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, if someone else was looking in, they'd probably call them mixed media or collage. I look at them as drawings just because that's how I think of them. I approach them as a as a drafts person. I think far more linearly in in terms of like drawing of lines than um, form and uh, dimension and space. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I classify them and um, how I generally describe them. But really, they're they're a combination of a bunch of different dry media, whether it's graphite or uh, or a pastel or colored pencil or kind of whatever I have handy with some wet media. I usually use acrylics, but sometimes gouache with mm-hmm. and then collage and. Mm-hmm. Um, I started sort of sanding them to kind of play with the layers and the layering and the textures and, and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a mixed media practice. Um, I really like working on paper. It's I, I had been doing a lot of printmaking previously, um, and I just like the warmth of, of paper versus working on canvas. I like working on panels some, but... It's just sort of more expensive, more cumbersome, mm-hmm. and um, I think the warmth of paper is really nice. Like it has it has its own mm-hmm. character that it brings to the piece that uh, I don't get from canvas. I notice that it's notice the same feeling when I read a book. As much as you know, I used to travel a lot for work, and the last thing I need was a actual book or two, three mm-hmm. books in my suitcase in my carry on. But I always enjoy flipping through the pages. I love drawing on paper rather than, you know, in contrast to that, is reading a book on Kindle, on iPad, on my computer. Yeah. So I think there's, like, really interesting intimacy um, and, and working with pen, pencils. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I try not to be a, a Luddite, but just yeah. everything I do for my work is digital. Mm-hmm. And it, the creativity flows differently. Mm-hmm. digitally versus analog for me mm-hmm. and I think the analog stuff is um, you sort of have to commit to it mm-hmm. and I think that's that's good for me like having 100 layers and 50 undo states mm-hmm. when I'm doing something that's more art focused mm-hmm. probably I'll just get lost in the details so a few years ago, I started looking to trying to learn Photoshop because I have to. We worked on a couple of small art projects, mm. and the moment I open up Photoshop, and I just like 
want to like punch myself in the face. <laughs> it's like, well, there's been like another five versions. I don't know where the buttons go. And yeah. I try to learn Photoshop and I remember lesson one from, I forgot the website is like, you should close Photoshop and start thinking about planning for what you're trying to design. Yeah. A general advice for more junior designers out there, especially if you're listening to this, I think drawing, working with paper and, and pencil are not just a unique skill that you could you should think about, but I think it's a it's a requirement almost. Um, so I'm glad that you echoed the same. Yeah. So let's let's jump around a little bit. I really want to get to this whole your connection to nature. I think people talk about nature a lot on my podcast. Um, you know, Matt Lindley, Caleb, and in the context of you know people like to be outside in general, like take a walk. Doesn't matter. It's like five degrees here in Boston. <laughs> I personally, I. I need to be connected to the nature. I like to feel the wind on my face. Um, to kind of take that to the next level, you are a you're a biker, kind of biking around in Boston, and you, you've taken that on as a very um, significant personal interest. So tell us about that. Uh, well, when it, I, I started riding a bike, probably as most most people did uh, as a kid to give some mobility, but then with a whole um, living in a rural place, probably the farthest I could ever bike was about a mile. <laughs> My friends were eight eight plus miles away. Mm -hmm. um, and it, so then there was a point when I would just get my parents to drive me or eventually I got my license so I'd start driving myself. So I kind of stopped biking anywhere. Mm -hmm. And then moving to Boston, bikes are just the best way to get around. So I started doing it. Um, it was kind of intimidating. It's not the most bike friendly city it certainly got better but when yeah. i started it it was worse mm -hmm. and but you know i just really enjoy it i think you you're way more present than when you're on the t mm -hmm. um or in a car and you see things and you're not constrained really to anybody else's time schedule or you kind of have to follow the roads for the most part but you're not really constrained to where the tea goes or where a bus goes or mm -hmm. um and it's a lot faster than walking so mm -hmm. um and then there's just kind of like the kind of indescribable freedom that that allows combined with this idea of like i just got myself from one end of boston to the other in less than an hour under my own power mm -hmm. or i just biked you know 40 miles under my own power, something I could have driven in mm -hmm. a you know tenth of the time, but I I got there just by my own mm -hmm. legs turning, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and it really, I'm really passionate about mountain biking. It's mm -hmm. if I could do it all day every day, I would. But that's you get to go outside, be in the woods. You can do it alone. It's a little more risky, but mm -hmm. um, it's awesome to do with a small group of friends and you get kind of the rush of the downhills combined with mm. kind of the it's sort of a mental challenge of picking the line like sort of the path of not always least resistance but most efficiency through any sort of given point you've taken a trip when i say recently i think it's within the past year or so to colorado mm -hmm. with some of your friends how was that, what was that experience like? And I guess maybe nothing of that compares to what you do here in Boston. Tell us about that. Um, that was a trip I took with my brother. 
Um, I flew out to Grand Junction and met up with him and we camped around Grand Junction and, and rode bikes every day for a week and a half. Um, every day, how many hours a day exactly? <laughs> it was probably five, six mm-hmm. hours a day. Um, that was great. I really liked it. Um, I don't think I would want to live there just because it's beyond biking. There's not much else. Uh, but it's it's really beautiful around there, yeah. and it's totally different from here. I mean, I've mm-hmm. been places. I've been to Texas a little bit, and it's just uh, dry mm-hmm. with no not much vegetation. But this part of Colorado was it was drier, but there was still some green and. But the you know the rock formations like mm-hmm. the cliffs they're just unreal you know you can see how just centuries of of weather have eroded the landscape and shaped it and then you can ride on it and it's it's totally unreal mm-hmm. and at the same time like that's this definitely the most risk taking I've ever been in my life I know you had Chris on before who's jumping out of planes but. <laughs> For me, like riding along the edge of a, of a cliff that was like, um, you know, a couple hundred feet down, especially being scared mm-hmm. of heights, was like pretty pretty out there for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I find I find it interesting to talk about cycling, biking in general. Again, originally from Beijing, uh, bikes were you know absolutely part of my life there i think it's much safer to bike in china first to a certain degree because mm. you have a separate you've always people expect it people expect it yeah. drivers are better at it and you have a separate lane yeah. let me just explain <laughs> in your lane totally different totally different there's nobody in your way certainly not cars i would I mean, love to see this country adopt that i mean at least in the cities you, you should. Know? I could absolutely imagine you. I've had other American friends. It's so funny to call them American friends. I actually feel kind of out of place when I go home to kind of integrate back to China. But I've had people who don't bike nearly as much as you do. You know, father and son showed up in Beijing, and they're like, "Yeah, forget taxis." They literally just bike through the entire city. Yeah. Have a great time. I can absolutely see you do that with Chris, with your wife, with your brother. You know. Yeah. I mean, I. I, I think it's it's really difficult to convey to people that have never done it, mm-hmm. but I've seen it. I've seen it with my own experience. I've seen it with my wife's experience. I've seen it with my friend's experience. Like you have a total different interaction with the city when mm-hmm. you start biking it, mm-hmm. and it can be anything from like a super easy to ride bike, everything up to mm-hmm. you know dudes in spandex you know mm-hmm. it it can kind of be whatever you want it to be and it's mm-hmm. it's very much like can be a different way of expression and kind of a realization of of what you're into and how you like to get around totally when I I, I don't think I've mentioned this to you before but I with my friend Pamela we took a three-week trip to Europe she's actually in Paris right now she texted me this morning she's like Faye remember we had stale bread in Paris we literally spent $2,000 all together, hotels, for three weeks. So we ended up like living in the shadiest like hotels <laughs> and not having enough food. But one of the things I noticed we love the most compared to the rest of the people who are traveling with, with us is we didn't want to be on the bus the whole time. Mm. We loved walking around the city. We, we thought about getting on bikes, um, the language issues, whatnot. We, we couldn't really get the rentals. For me to add to that, I love visiting local schools. 
Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, I just love it. I want to be in the classroom, and I feel like there's something about being around children or kind of the educational system. You get the most transparent feeling and integration into the city. Um, I, I did take the train in Italy, had no idea where I was going. Yeah. Um, but then you have to get off and walk to these random places. So absolutely agree that exploring cities um, at the same level. So, oh, we can't believe we, we, talked, we talked for a long time already. <laughs> um, but what are some of the things that you, wanna, you wanted to talk about that we haven't gotten the chance to? Um, not too sure what else. Um, I mean, I, I haven't really talked too much about design, I guess. Um, I can talk about that a little bit. Yes, please. Um, I feel like I, I've sort of chosen a little bit of a strange path, but um, I think it's, it's something that's getting a little bit more popular. But um, I, I got started doing... Uh, or working with a, a relatively small but a little bit um, kind of mid-sized company in Vermont mm -hmm. called Select Design, and they they really uh, got a, a their start kind of doing some marketing stuff and uh, sort of grew this branding capacity and capability, and um, so that's that's really where I got a lot of my foundation. For, for design, um, I don't have a, a design uh, formal design education. You um, don't. What did no. you study in college? I studied illustration. That's is that not considered like traditional design path? No, definitely not. Okay. Um, you know, illustration is like what you would see accompanying like on the on the cover of the New Yorker or something. Mm. You know, it's like. Um, it's had somewhat of a resurgence, but um, especially digital illustration. But mm -hmm. like I, I hardly had to touch a computer in school. Mm -hmm. I, I liked to, so I did. Mm -hmm. But um, I was one of the few people that graduated school with an actual functioning website mm -hmm. portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, but it was otherwise. It was a very traditionally based program, mm -hmm. which you know, it kind of made sense to me because I was. I started drawing, I always loved drawing, so it was sort of like an evolution of that. Mm -hmm. um, but then I, I was just kind of burnt out on it after yeah. school yeah. and wanted to do something different and was kind of interested in design. My my best friend uh, all, all throughout school, and you know, who's, who's still my best friend, was, is in, um, was in the communication design program. And he, I was kind of, he was roping me into helping him with projects. I was always looking at what he was doing. So I kind of had an idea of what design was and some of like the big, the big ideas. But um, mm -hmm. it was through that first job that I really developed a, a love for it and under, started to understand what it was and started to do more research and started to educate myself and then um, kind of the the brand piece, and I, that's it's kind of a um, a buzzword, I guess, is like branding mm -hmm. uh, in business these days. Um, I, I think people generally use it in the sense where they're under where they're referring to a logo or like mm -hmm. the things around a logo, like the colors, the the type. Um, for me. 
brand is always about experience and you can have a really horrible logo but still have a good brand mm -hmm. like Zappos would be a really good example like people have like <laughs> horrible logo yeah people have like a really like you know mm -hmm. that's a great ex right. shopping experience for most people mm -hmm. you know sometimes maybe it's not what you really want maybe you're you're looking for like super high-end stuff and you only want to like walk into the store and you know have someone mm -hmm. give you things um, or sell you things for very exorbitant prices but like you know Zappos has a horrible identity but a good brand because they're um, they have great customer service they you can pretty much get what you want mm -hmm. um, like free shipping like people have all these warm fuzzy experiences mm -hmm. with uh, with the company, you know, they're like transforming downtown LA into, mm -hmm. I guess you could say for, for better or worse, but they're like having some sort of, uh, revitalizing, um, change mm -hmm. in the environment. So it's like, this is like cultivating that. Mm -hmm. And then like how you interact, how the, the bigger sort of organization interacts with the people that it touches that's that's like the experience that's really the brand as a designer especially at a bigger agency you know we have a brand experience team brand team planning team mm. design team you i feel like there's a theme throughout the podcast you focus a lot about experience whether mm. it's outdoor being you know providing um, experience a, a feeling connection to people how do you think as a designer that you're able to kind of bridge that gap. As a designer, you know, you're tasked to, to design a logo. How do you choose to kind of navigate around that and try to influence the actual experience of things? Because in some people's minds, that's, that's digital strategy, that's business strategy, all these things that people can't quite connect to design. How do you see that? Um, I, I don't, maybe, maybe I'm entitled, but I think designers have and should have as much as see it at that table mm -hmm. in, in those kinds of decisions. Mm -hmm. I think designers have I guess you could say it's 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 somewhat unique I think it's certainly a focus uh, and kind of an empathic quality mm -hmm. that a lot of people that are just looking at two by twos don't always have mm -hmm. um, and I think designers can kind of marry that like okay, here's the concrete thing that we're going to make. Like, how does that mm -hmm. tie into the bigger sort of mm -hmm. experience as a whole? Mm -hmm. So it's like the bigger holistic mm -hmm. view married with that really like finite and focused. Mm -hmm. um, what What is the outcome? What's it actually, what's it actually going to feel like? And I, I kind of hate that feel word in, in terms of design, mm -hmm. especially when you talk look and feel. That's one of my <laughs> least favorite uh, phrases Aww, in all of design. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. No, no, just but kidding. yeah, I just think it's like it's it's it, it's bigger than that. It's you know, that's that. it. Like if you're just talking about sort of logos and and the identity piece, that's very superficial. Mm -hmm. I think it's really kind of missing, um, really missing the opportunities and mm -hmm. like the impact that design can have in the bigger like business picture. What are some of the brands that you find inspiring? And it could be anything. It doesn't have to be constrained to a certain industry. I'm saying that because you've given me some of the customer testimonials, and I've been able to follow some of that. But what are some of the brands that you that gives you that 
not look and feel, but gives you that feeling, give you a, provide you with a better experience, especially in such a crowded marketplace these mm -hmm. days, you know. Um, I guess, I mean, it tends to lean more towards like lifestyle mm -hmm. stuff for me. Um, and it, it tends to be things that I consume kind of because I, the brands, <laughs> <laughs> the, the brands appeal to me. Yeah. Um, like Vans, as in the shoes, and, mm -hmm. and they've kind of grown into apparel and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're one of the more, um, I think things are starting to fall apart a little bit, but mm -hmm. they're very, they have their roots very much in skateboarding and, mm -hmm. and surfing and kind of California alternative culture yeah. and I think they've cultivated that fairly well yeah. as they've grown and kind of similar similar um, Volcom mm -hmm. they have always kind of a different yeah what are some of the brands that you you buy and love you know um, it you know those two definitely yeah. um, I, I love Adidas for some reason like I I played yeah. soccer when I was a kid yeah. um, and I just kind of like their aesthetic better than I do Nike. Mm -hmm. Plus Nike shoes don't fit me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why don't they fit you? Uh, they, they build them around uh, forms that are for people with really narrow feet. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Maybe for Nike to consider a better experience yeah. for the customers they're missing yeah. out on. I mean, I, I don't think, I think like Adidas is not the most innovative company, mm -hmm. but I, I think they have more like style cred mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> in a certain sense than, than Nike does. I'm surprised that you, so far you haven't uh, brought up Burtsby because we had this conversation perhaps when we were working on uh, an account, I think it could be John Frieda, but some of the ideas Dove uh, was one of them as well. The funny thing is like before we had that conversation I own nothing from Burtsby and mm. I started to realize that when I go to CVS and I'm looking for uh, you know, like facial products or like lip balm, and I started to f think about Burtsby and trying to explore to to see why you were very intrigued by the brand. And I so far I've been super pleased. And they, I noticed that it's such an interesting experience with them. They have their separate aisle always, so yeah. it's never kind of diluted by other brands. There's yeah. no competition. They're kind of like we're our own thing. And um, so winter again in Boston is like five degrees out, super dry. And I was looking for, you know, like moisturizer on Amazon. And Burstby was like top of the line with like 3,000 positive reviews. So there's got to be, I'm always fascinated by brands who are able to build, to attract such a cohorts of, you know, customers who are just in love and wants nothing else. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think Burstby's is a really smart brand. I think I think aesthetically they're not as uh, sophisticated as I think they could be, mm -hmm. but I think they're they've aligned themselves with causes. Mm -hmm. Um specifically, you know, the environmental message mm -hmm. and I didn't know that. well, just, you know, mm -hmm. like um they're they have of the things that you can buy in a grocery store, Burt's tends to be the highest percentage of natural ingredients and, you know, mm -hmm. like they support environmental causes and things like that so they align themselves with a cause mm -hmm. so the people that are passionate about the cause are also passionate about birds mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a 
one feeds into the other sort of thing. Um, I I do use their their product. I just I feel like well to your to what you're referring to. I think they've they tend to think about more of that experience than some other mm. companies. I think I think other companies are catching up, but mm. you know, like they've they have all that mm. uh, like their very their presentation is is pretty focused. Mm-hmm. Very consistent like Yes. Y- yeah, y- absolutely. They look, you know, like nothing else. Like mm-hmm. I never get confused right. um, by the brand identity. So um, I'm running a little bit out of your time, <laughs> actually the time committed. So I'm going to wrap up with um, a few rapid fire questions. And are you into reading book? Do you read books on a regular basis? Or uh, books? I'm trying to read more. Okay. <laughs> so we'll include a list of blogs and things you find inspirational, yeah. especially when it comes to design. Yeah. We'll include that in the blog post. Um, but. Let's. Um, one of my favorite questions to ask my guests is, looking back, what is that advice that you will give to your twenty-year-old self? What would you say to your twenty-year-old self? I I would say just like loosen up and not worry too much about what other people think about you. Just mm-hmm. kind of own it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something I still struggle with, but I think that the more that no matter what you do the more that you can just be confident in being Mm -hmm. kind of who or whatever you are Mm -hmm. you know just everything else sort of falls into place one way or another I I really like that and Sam Smith I believe it's the singer's name I I don't don't recall that name until watching Grammys this year and this young gentleman who came up and said I've been singing for a long time until I was trying to be myself that I'm able to achieve the success that I have today. Yeah. He took away like all the Grammy Awards. I just yeah. came out of nowhere. <laughs> and um, my second question is, uh, well, given where you are right now, what is that one thing that you would change um, about yourself? Could be anything. <laughs> I've heard many interesting <laughs> questions. I just say James Altucher. This question was pitched to James Altucher, who's like number one influencer on LinkedIn. He's like, I really wouldn't mind being having Brad Pitt's look. I just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot of following, but anyway, um, the one thing I would change, um, uh, I think it's, it's, I mean, this is always kind of a tough thing because I have, um, I think about regrets probably more than I should, but, um, at the same time, I, I really acknowledge that the, my path here has been pretty dependent on the choices that I've made. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just to probably take an interest in in design sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the other thing would be to um, kind of commit professionally a little bit more in in a more focused way um just because i've uh, even even though i've um there's been kind of some through lines in my career it hasn't really been it's more like 
been based on what I was good at or what there was demand for or things like that versus kind of really leaning into any one particular thing. Mm-hmm. I, just, I tend to be a generalist a little bit, so um, I think pushing myself to focus mm-hmm. earlier. What are some of the focus areas that, that you would like to consider now? Um, I, I, th- I really w- do want to be better at mentoring younger designers cool. and helping them to get better at whatever it is that they want to do mm-hmm. um, and kind of help, you know, help them get to where they want to go without some of the stumbling blocks that I had just mm. learn from my experience and and kind of try to foster creativity because I think it's I don't I don't know that people really how how much people take it for granted but I think it's it's kind of awesome to have a job where you get to be creative every day mm-hmm. and um you really don't have to put up with doing things you don't want to do mm-hmm. if you have ambition because mm-hmm. they're you know the the times I see job listings for designers every day mm-hmm. just not even looking but you mm-hmm. know people say hey, I'm looking for someone to do this or you know anybody who could do that or I heard about an opening at this like there's a lot of opportunities there's out there. tons of opportunities for designers so mm-hmm. if you're like mm-hmm. not doing something that you're not interested in just mm-hmm. like just go get a new job <laughs> yeah. get something else or start something yeah. on your own or yeah on a friend's project yeah we'll close on a very light-hearted question uh, which hasn't been I haven't pitched this to anybody else I find it kind of intriguing that in the um, there's a saying in the US I don't think there's an equivalent in China which is a to-go bag mm-hmm. like you know if you have a to-go bag I guess imagine like a student backpack size, um, not like a CCM from coffee <laughs> bag, but like two people in there. Um, what will be in that bag for you? Um, there'd be a sketch pad and like a dozen different pencils. There would probably be, um, you know, enough books to keep me busy for a while. Uh, I don't. I don't know if a phone would be in there, but definitely some way to listen to music. <laughs> <laughs> a phone would not be in there. You know, I've I've I have a love hate relationship with it. It's, yeah, it's, that's interesting. It enables a lot, but it also, I think, makes people kind of overly reliant mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. that's it. You have like um, you have fifty pounds of stuff left, yeah. but anyway, <laughs> it would mostly be empty. With keep it light. Keep it light. <laughs> Maybe some food. <laughs> <laughs> like that answer. Maybe next time for my next podcast, I'll open with that because there's so many trigger points from that. It's like, why did you decide to do that? Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thanks, Faye. It was a pleasure. <laughs> fantastic. We'll, we'll include information on how to follow you. Is it iracummings.com? Yeah, I'm, it's uh, iracummings.com is, is my design work. Mm-hmm. iracummingsart.com is my more art-focused stuff. I'm Ira F. Cummings at most social networks, so that's usually the way to find me.
Great. And you post regularly to Facebook, Twitter? Twitter. Like Facebook tends to be for people that I know, so I keep it yeah. keep it kind of siloed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in Instagram as well. Instagram, Pinterest, Tumblr. Those are the main ones. We'll include all of that information <laughs> yeah. on the blog post. Listen to more episodes of the Face World podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or visit faceworld.com. That is F E I S W O R L D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. You can also follow me on Twitter at Face World. Until next time, thanks for listening.